Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. I knew she was probably dead. And I knew it was probably ugly. But that, that was brutally ugly. I pray they have not done this to another human being. On a previous podcast, we presented the story of a brutal killing that has haunted authorities in the small town of Henderson, Nevada for decades. In October of 1980, the body of a young woman was discovered naked beside a dirt road near the Arroyo Grande Wash. The unidentified teenager became known as Jane Arroyo Grande Doe, and two homicide detectives, born a generation apart, have dedicated themselves to finding out who she is, who killed her, and why. Now, over 40 years after her body was discovered, they have solved part of the case. They have now identified the young woman. I'm Steve French, and this is Unsolved Mysteries. Update, the girl with the S tattoo. I handled 329 death investigations, homicide, suicides, and different deaths. Jane Royal Grande Doe was the only one who's been unsolved. Detective John Williams was a retired homicide investigator with the Henderson, Nevada Police Department. On the evening of October 5th, 1980, he responded to a report of a dead body seen off the side of Arroyo Grande Drive, at the time a dusty road on the outskirts of town. It was the beginning of a case that would consume Detective Williams for the rest of his career. I pulled over, and there she was laying on her belly, totally nude, in a little area up in the dirt road. She had seven puncture wounds to her back from a two-pronged instrument and numerous injuries to her back of her head with what appeared to be a hammer. And when we turned her over and looked at her face, she had been punched, beat up in the face. Cause of her death was a blunt trauma to her head. Just a young, young girl. Who was this mysterious girl? And who was responsible for her gruesome death? There were few clues for Detective Williams to follow. The girl's body was still warm, indicating she had been killed within hours of being dumped by the side of the road. There was little blood at the scene and no signs of a struggle, indicating the murder likely happened elsewhere. An autopsy revealed she had been sexually assaulted. Although no clothing or ID was found, Detective Williams was confident he would eventually determine her identity. 
I thought at first it would be easy because, you know, with being a young girl, somebody would have reported someone like her missing, but we had no missing girls in the Henderson or Las Vegas area that fit her. She was 16 to 20. Her height was five foot three. She weighed 106 pounds and she had blondish brown hair. She had a small tattoo in her inner right forearm of the letter S as in Sam. Could the S tattoo be a clue to the girl's identity? Or perhaps a mark left by her killer? John Williams didn't know, but he was deeply moved by the girl's tragic fate. My wife and I and a couple other officers from the police department bought a headstone and had her name, Jane Arroyo Grande Doe, and the date of death and everything. And so we had her buried. She just basically feels like family to me. John Williams looked at this case in a personal fashion. He looked at her as almost like his own daughter. Detective Joe Ebert was six years old when Jane Arroyo's body was found. The son of a Henderson police officer, he grew up around John Williams and his legendary quest to solve the department's most infamous cold case. I've known John all my life, and literally from 1980 to 2006, when he retired, he worked this case, did everything he could to try to solve it. But in spite of all his efforts, John Williams retired without learning Jane Arroyo's real identity. Joe Ebert inherited the case in 2014, determined to take a fresh look at the evidence with the help of modern forensic science. In 1980, although DNA didn't exist, there was still procedures set in place because they knew that certain things would happen in the future that would ultimately help identify victims, identify suspects. So they took pieces of evidence back then to ultimately use in the future. We had some hair that was cut at autopsy. We had some vaginal swabs, anal swabs, quite a bit of different pieces of evidence that were stored down there. But the techniques used in 1980 to collect biological evidence didn't match up to the needs of modern science, and no usable DNA could be extracted from the original samples. So Detective Ebert made the difficult decision to exhume Jane's body, hoping to obtain new samples to test. We had made the decision that we would do everything we could to try to identify her. Once we exhumed her, we would not re-intern her until we could put a name on the headstone rather than Jane Arroyo Grande Doe. As sad as it was, her crypt leaked and filled with water. So the water degraded a lot of the bones for DNA, which kind of hindered us in what we wanted to do with the DNA side. Joe Ebert exhausted all the known options for identifying Jane Arroyo without coming any closer to learning her identity. But as DNA technology continued to advance, he soon learned of a new technique that provided him with renewed hope. In 2019, he met Barbara Ray Venter, a pioneer in the field of investigative genetic genealogy. Barbara can build the family tree of an unknown victim or suspect by comparing their DNA samples to online genealogy databases. She also happens to know a lab in California with a groundbreaking new DNA extraction technique, sensitive enough to sequence the genetic samples taken from Jane Arroyo's body. 
once we were able to obtain DNA from our victim, where we could work investigative genetic genealogy with Barbara, she was able to start building family trees based off that, where we started identifying relatives. We were able to get a DNA match that we identified out of Alaska initially, and upon contact with that person in Alaska, we ended up finding out that some of her family that she matched with was in Arkansas. Jane's DNA matches an Arkansas man named Jerry Terrell. Jerry's wife Janice has been building a family tree online, and one branch in particular catches Detective Ebert's eye. It shows four sisters from New Mexico, Nancy, Sonia, Tammy, and Carla Terrell. Nancy is listed as deceased. Sonia and Carla are still alive, but the status of Tammy, who would have been 17 years old in 1980, is listed as unknown. Joe Ebert tracks down contact information for the Terrells in Arkansas and New Mexico, leaves them all messages, and hopes at least one will call him back. My girlfriend and I were headed home. I was off duty, and it was around 9 o'clock at night. And I got a phone call from an unknown number, but the phone number showed that it was coming from Artesia, New Mexico. And I knew that that is one of the cities that I had reached out to family members. The detective had called me the day before, and I thought it was bogus. I thought it was just a telemarketer. Carla Klons lives in Artesia, New Mexico. She is the youngest of the four Terrell sisters. Carla wasn't planning to respond to Joe Ebert's message, but an unexpected call from her great-aunt Janice changes her mind. She called me and she says, you need to call this detective. I think it's about Tammy. She says, I don't want to talk to him because, you know, I'm too old and I don't remember anything. And I got on my phone and I looked and I thought, all right, I'll see if this number is a real number. So I called it. And it rang, and I hung up. And funny thing, you know, when you call a detective, they're going to call you back. They're just... (laughs) And he immediately called me back. Carla answered the phone, and she apologized and said that she was just trying to input my phone number into her phone so she could call me the next day. And I told her that I would be willing to sit down and talk with her on the phone that night if she was willing to, and she was. And so we started talking. He asked me a lot of questions about if I had somebody missing in my family. And I said, yes, I did. I had a sister, you know, missing for 41 years. Carla explains that when she was very young, her mother lost custody of all her children. Carla was several years younger than her siblings, and they were split up among different foster homes in the Artesia area. Carla grew up in the same home as her sister, Tammy. I was seven months when I went into foster care. So Tammy was my only family. She was a happy, happy child, laughing and playing and carefree, blonde hair, blue eyed. She was cotton top, very light complected, and I was quite the opposite. So it was kind of like sugar and brown sugar. Since she was five years older, she would always be listening to music, watching movies, and every once in a while she'd let me in her room so I could go in and act like a teenager and dance with her. But Tammy's personality changed when she entered her teenage years, 
and she started acting out against her foster family. She had learning disabilities. She struggled in school. She made some bad choices with a lot of her friends. She would leave school with different people. And I remember one time she was, ooh, she was drunk. She was way drunk. Tammy ran away a couple of times. The first time she ended up in Arizona, a man called and said Tammy was on the streets and he was concerned about her and she was hungry and my foster brother went and picked her up. And then she ran away again and my foster parents were like, well, you know what, we probably need to find some place to put her. At the age of 16, Tammy was sent 40 miles away from Artesia to live at a group home for troubled teenagers in the city of Roswell, New Mexico. Carla remained with her foster family and rarely communicated with Tammy. More than a year passed before Carla tried to call her sister at the group home to let her know that one of her aunts had died. Tammy and her was really close. So I tried to call Tammy and they said, well, we don't have anybody by that name here. And I was all like, um, you do, you do. You need to check and ask. And they're like, no, we, we don't have anybody. They said, you know, she had been missing, that they took her to the fair and she wasn't there when they went to pick the kids up. She had been missing for seven months. Carla was shocked. The group home had filed a missing persons report with Roswell police stating Tammy was last seen the evening of September 28, 1980. But no one had ever alerted Tammy's family. Being in foster care, especially back then, it was pretty archaic. So Tammy was the perfect scenario to fall between the cracks. There was nobody pushing and wanting to know where she was at. The police would look at her as a runaway. For Carla, not a day has gone by in the past 41 years where she hasn't thought about her sister Tammy, wondered where she was, and hoped against all odds that she was okay. When I found out she was missing, I had no idea what to do, you know? The only thing you can do is you look. She was in Roswell, and so between Roswell and Artesia, there's ravines, there's so many places that people could hurt somebody. And so you would go and you would drive by these ravines and you would look, you know, all your life. You would listen to the news to see if there was any missing people. And, and you pray, you know, I prayed. I prayed most all of my life. The night that we actually spoke with Carla, we were pretty certain based off of the investigative genetic genealogy and the information that Carla had given us that Jane was definitely going to be Tammy. I explained to Carla that we had photos of Jane Arroyo. Of course, the photos that I had were photos of her at autopsy. And those are difficult photos to see for any family member. But I told her I'd like to send them to her and see if she could tell me if that was her sister. And she agreed. And so I did send her those photos. And she took a look at them and confirmed that that was her sister without a doubt. I think for everybody involved, it was emotional. It was emotional for me. It was a, probably one of the most emotional conversations I've had with a uh, victim's family member. 
Carla was amazed. She said that uh, she can finally stop having to look in ditches and watch news broadcasts where other people were found. They knew now where Tammy had been all these years. For decades, she was known only as Jane Arroyo Grande Doe. But last week, Henderson police finally identified a teen girl's body found 40 years ago on the side of the road. I'm proud to say today that Detective Williams and Ebert's efforts have finally paid off. We have positively identified Jane Arroyo Grande Doe as Tammy Corrine Terrell. Tammy was 17 years old at the time she was murdered. Shortly after speaking with Joe Ebert, both Carla and her sister Sonia provide Henderson police with swabs of their DNA. A lab compares those samples to those taken from Jane Arroyo. And on December 2nd, 2021, authorities announce with genetic certainty that she is in fact Tammy Terrell. Tammy's family now no longer has to wonder what became of her. But for investigators, only one part of the mystery has been solved. Hey, Unsolved Mysteries listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. There's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for family members, and sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with Gift Mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for my fitness fanatic sister. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners Adidas, Expedia, and Ray-Ban. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals. During Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th, the cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for travel deals and home electronics. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Any murder investigation, it begins with, with knowing who the victim are, knowing who they're associated to. And so it's a major hurdle if you don't know who that person is. Now the pursuit of Tammy's killer or killers begins. My name is Olga Holguin. I work in a facility for abused, neglected, and abandoned teens between the ages of 13 to 18. For 42 years, Olga Holguin has worked as a counselor at the group home in Roswell, New Mexico, where Tammy Terrell was living at the time she disappeared. Shortly after Tammy's identity is confirmed, Joe Ebert contacts the group home to find out everything he can about the night Tammy vanished. When Detective Ebert called us and sent us that photograph of Tammy, we just were in shock. We were in shock to see her picture 
in that state. And it was just her. I mean, that's exactly what she looked like when she lived in our program. She was a little petite girl, real sweet, real shy. And she didn't really hang out with a lot of the kids. She'd sit on the couch, kind of cross-legged and just kind of rock back and forth. It was just so sad to see her like that because she just seemed so alone. On the evening of September 28, 1980, Olga and another counselor took the residents of the group home on an outing to the New Mexico State Fair. They were responsible for approximately 20 teenagers, and they had a strategy to keep track of everyone. We would give them tickets and uh, let them go ride, and we'd have a meeting area. They had to check in by coming back and getting more tickets so that they could continue riding. Our departure time was going to be 9 o'clock in the evening to go back home. So close to that time was when we passed out the last set of tickets. I remember Tammy coming in and getting some. And then after that, all the kids started coming back after their rides. And the only one that we were missing was her. We went around looking for her, but she was nowhere to be found. Olga and the other counselors scoured the fairgrounds for over 30 minutes, but found no sign of Tammy anywhere. None of the other kids knew where she was either or remember seeing her leave. Olga was concerned, but it was not uncommon for kids to run away from group homes like this. With nearly 20 other kids that needed to get home, they left the fair and filed a missing persons report with the Roswell police. Because she was so new to the program, we just thought that She had just decided to run away and didn't want to be at our facility anymore. And so that was the last that we ever heard of her. To see that she had actually died just days after she had ran away, it was just a big shocker to us. It's hard to believe that that actually could happen. One minute you have this person with you, and then the next minute they're gone. Where did Tammy go that night at the fair? Did she run away on her own, or could she have been abducted? And how did she end up dead on a roadside five days later, over 750 miles away in Henderson, Nevada? With no witnesses to her disappearance, Joe Ebert fears he may never learn the answers. But Tammy's sister Carla had recently learned that someone she knew had spotted Tammy later that evening. She was seen at a Denny's restaurant in Roswell by her aunt and uncle, Janice and Jerry Terrell. They were living in Roswell when Tammy was in Roswell. And she said she's seen her with this couple, a man and a woman at Denny's. She was going to leave with them to go to California. And she said, Tammy, don't go with them. They don't look like good people. She's the last one to see Tammy. And nobody ever said a thing. Not till years and years later. Who was this mysterious couple heading to California with Tammy? And could they have been involved in Tammy's murder? Without more evidence, all Carla and Detective Ebert have are theories. Based on the fact that Tammy was last seen on September 28, 1980, by her aunt Janice at the Denny's restaurant, and we found her on October 5, 1980, around 9 p.m., murdered within hours, led us to believe that she traveled with this male and female from Roswell, New Mexico, to Henderson, Nevada. There was a a torn shower curtain recovered near her body. 
So we believed she was murdered in a potentially a hotel room somewhere nearby, cleaned, and then her body was dumped on the 5th of October off of Arroyo Grande and Lake Mead. Roswell is like a little Albuquerque. Albuquerque's our main big city here in New Mexico. It's a hub for prostitution. It's a hub for human trafficking. And I think she met up with just really bad people. Tammy was so trusting and a little naive. She didn't see any danger in any scenario and was always looking for her family that perfect love of the of the family. And I think the couple that Janice saw Tammy with that night at Denny's is the couple she left with. She was just very trusting, and that was her biggest fault, trusting somebody that shouldn't have been trusted. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. There remains another question that has intrigued investigators since the very beginning of this case. Could the mysterious S tattoo on Tammy Terrell's arm be a clue that leads to her murderer? The S tattoo has always come up as a clue or something to focus on or look at. I can't give an opinion about that because I can't find anybody that has any information on the S tattoo. After speaking with her family, they have no idea what the S stood for, when she got that tattoo, or why she would have gotten that tattoo. We still have not identified another case of homicide where a female victim has the tattoo of an S, like it could be linked to other murderers. The S tattoo may be involved, it may not be involved. Although there are still many questions surrounding her murder, Finally, knowing the fate of Tammy Terrell has provided comfort to everyone who cares about her. Both the family she was born into and the one made up of people who adopted her as their own, as they searched for 41 years to learn her name. When I confirmed that Jane Arroyo was Tammy Terrell, John was at the hospital. He had been not feeling well, and I was able to go down to the hospital and visit him. 
And when I walked in the hospital, I handed him some photographs of Tammy Terrell, and he immediately knew that Tammy was Jane Arroyo, and he said, that's Janie, that's Janie, that's Janie. Tammy had a lot of people here that cared about her and loved her, and John and John's wife, Jackie, visited her every single year from the day that they originally buried her. So they pretty much taken care of her from the day that they found her until we identified her as Tammy Terrell. When the detectives took on her case, they went so far beyond. They made her a part of their family. She was looking for that perfect love, the perfect family. And she found them. I mean, it was amazing that they took care of her like they did. In the end, it helped me deal with the news of her death. You know, it was... It was an answered prayer. I pray that the killer is already passed, that they have not done this to another human being. She was beaten. She was raped. She was stabbed. She was bludgeoned with a a hammer. I can understand anger. I can understand hurt. And I can even understand somebody shooting somebody and walking away out of anger, out of hurt. Not that I think it's right, but when a human being does that much, I don't understand that. I pray that he is already dead because that type of brutality, it doesn't happen just once. Somebody has to know something. There's got to be someone out there that remembers seeing Tammy, that remembers seeing who she was with, that knows the people that she was with. We're also asking for assistance from anyone who may have been in the area where Tammy was last seen or maybe saw Tammy traveling from Roswell, New Mexico to where we know she ended up in Henderson, Nevada. We'd like to identify who this male and female was that she was last seen with interview them if they're still alive today and find out some history on those two individuals, who they are, where they live, where they came from. Potentially, they could be the persons that ultimately killed Tammy and left her body on the side of the road. If the murderer is still alive, I know he'll be caught. I always prayed, God, if she's here on this earth, please put people around her that will help her. He's watched out for her, and he will continue to watch out for us and her and the detectives, too. I know justice will be served. There's not a doubt in my mind. Not a doubt in my mind. On February 24, 2022, the body of Tammy Corinne Terrell was laid to rest at the same cemetery where she was originally buried. Her sister Carla wanted her to remain close to all the people in Henderson, Nevada who cared for her and treated her like family. Her gravestone now bears her real name. Authorities remain on the hunt for the identity of Tammy's killer. Detective Ebert wants to hear from anyone with knowledge of the couple seen with Tammy the night she went missing. They were described as a white male with dark brown hair and a white female with light brown hair, both average build 
and appeared to be in their mid-40s in 1980. They may have been carnival workers at the New Mexico State Fair in Roswell. If you have any information about this couple, or any other possible leads in this case, please contact the Henderson Police Department at 702-267-4750 or leave a tip on our website at unsolved.com. Next on Unsolved Mysteries. I was in abject panic, completely shocked. He took every stick of furniture. He took the Bible that my grandmother gave me for confirmation, and he took his boys. I'm a mom. You don't give up on finding your children. Unsolved Mysteries is a production of Cosgrove Mirror Productions and Cadence 13, an Odyssey company. It is executive produced by Terry Dunn-Muir and Chris Corcoran. Produced by Christine Lenig, Courtney Ennis, Paige Heimsen, and Bill Schultz. The story producer for this episode was Cindy Bowles, and it was edited by Keith Shea. From Cadence 13, editing, mixing, and mastering by Chris Basil and Andy Jaskowitz. Production support by Sean Cherry, Ian Mont, and Ava Fenneberger. Artwork and design is by Kurt Courtney. Publicity by Maura Curran, Josephina Francis, and Hilary Schuff. The original theme music was composed by Gary Malkin and Michael Boyd. Thanks for listening to episode 43 of Unsolved Mysteries.